When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are 7am here on the 7th of October. Hopefully you're doing well around the South Island, but especially in Canterbury here. It's Louis for another edition of the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner on a Saturday morning where uh, I'm going to go play footy later for the mighty Eastern Blues out there in New Brighton. Some Aussie rules, and I hopefully hope you've got a, a big day yourself planned because, gee whiz, you might be catching up on sleep. And that's okay. If that's what your Saturday consists of, a bit of couch time, Maybe the lawns and a bit more couch time. No judgment here. It's been a, a, a big old week of sport. It's actually been a big old couple of months of sport, really, hasn't it? So I can feel that there is a slight little bit of fatigue. But this isn't the weekend, guys. This is not the weekend for fatigue because we've got Bathurst. We've got Liam Lawson and another GP in the Formula One. We have got, of course, the Cricket World Cup continuing on. Uh, we've got plenty of MPC finals to sink our teeth into, and we'll talk about Canterbury's, well, gutsy, I guess you'd call it, performance last night, just across the road from me here at Apollo Project Stadium. We've got Heartland footy. Um, we've got so much this weekend to get stuck into, really. It's not the time for fatigue. I'm probably a little bit election fatigued already. Can't wait till they take all the hoardings down, and the lead story in the news every night isn't, the bull bloke or the Prime Minister, that'll be good. Can't wait for that. It's also a massive day of racing, of course. Group 1 racing in Australia, and, and I'm here for the mail run just after 8 o'clock. So uh, we'll get through all of that. Don't worry, there's plenty of racing going on being springtime. Um, so we will get into that, but that'll be more 8 till 10. For 7 to 8, it's all things Canterbury, because it is, of course, the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner and uh, I am absolutely stoked to be here with you and Enterprise, the recruitment company, improving people's lives for over 50 years. What have we got coming up on the show today? Canterbury related. Well, I tell you what, I haven't been as happy as I was yesterday morning for a very long time. Probably four years since they cheated us. We got our redemption against England. We got our revenge, although it was the first, the opening game of the uh, 2023 Cricket World Cup. It's not quite the same as a finals taste of that poison. Oh, it just is so hard to not think about that when you think about cricket. And let's be honest, we all had for so long. So going there to Aminabad uh, a couple of nights ago and the Black Caps putting on that performance like they did with Devin Conway and Rachin Ravindra, both finishing on unbeaten red ink, boys, red ink, unbeaten big centuries, incredible stuff. And it really did taste sweet. It made me very happy. And we still have nine, eight games to go in the, uh, before we get to the semifinals. 
if we get to the semi-finals of the Cricket World Cup. But I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but I'm finding it very, very hard. And I want to see. That's how excited I am about the cricket. And so, uh, father of Tom, Rod, also a legend of Canterbury sport, Rod Latham. Um, of course, black cap in his own right, all-rounder, Canterbury rugby player. Um, you know, local sporting icon, I guess, really, to be fair. Especially in his exploits uh, as a, a sire with Tom Latham. Uh, he's going to join us in just a wee bit. We'll talk about the Cricket World Cup. We'll talk about that feeling when you just get to go to work and, and you're buzzing. Um, I talked to Tom. I talked to Rod yesterday, and I was absolutely stoked to hear that he and I agreed on on why and for what reasons that that Cricket World Cup win was so special. Um, he's obviously far more connected to the team, being a, a past player, a New Zealand cricket representative, and of course father of the standing skipper. Uh, while Kane Williamson is on his comeback. But I think cricket fans and those that had struggled to get that bad taste out of their mouth from 2019 alike um, really needed that, and we got it. So that made me very happy. And, of course, Matt Henry um, bowled superbly, superbly with the new ball to, to absolutely keep us in it at the start when Trent Bolt was a little bit wobbly. Great to see Bolty back. But Matt Henry, who who got thrust into the 2015 Cricket World Cup, um, you know, not, not too long out of St. Bede's College, and being a great Cantabrian, stepped up and, and did his job. Um, so fantastic. Of course, Gary Steed connection there as well, and uh, Tom Latham, as we, see, as we say. Uh, wonderful job, and we'll talk to Rod about that. Kent Summerfield, the project manager for Takaha Stadium. Now, this is really interesting. If you're like me, have been driving past Tikaha recently and starting to see the beams go up and, and the, the uh, platform seems to be there, the pad seems to be all down. So you're starting to see the uh, wonderful new stadium we're going to have here going upwards and not just dust and dirt being cleared and foundations and pillars and structural pieces of metal being put into the ground. Well, um, you want to want to hear Kent talk about exactly where they're at in the construction phase if they are on time for Tikaha's completion in 2026, and I guess what the nuances of building a stadium in Christchurch are, this is a good interview. This is fascinating. He's a Cantabrian. Didn't know this about Kent. I don't know. I just kind of half thought and I half wondered maybe if there was a, an international company involved. And there is as a consultant, but the council is very much hands-on. And Kent Summerfield is a project manager for them and for the, the old operations. So... We're going to catch up with Kenton. I can't wait to do that because I think this is excellent and we're going to be very, very pleased at, at uh, I guess, the news that it's it's on track and um, soon enough we're going to have a swanky new stadium that we're probably going to be able to fill. Probably going to be able to fill because our rugby teams are so good. Brian Ashby, well, he'll join us for a reflection of last night's Canterbury quarterfinal against Auckland. The El Clasico, if you will. The blue and white hoops versus the red and black machine. Um, for Trident Homes, designed for living, built for life. We'll catch up with Brian Ashby and talk about the footy last night. What an interesting game. Canterbury spent the better part of the first quarter hot on attack, but with terrible execution in the uh, red zone, if you will. They were getting absolutely dominated at the ruck whenever they got into the 22, about three entries deep into uh, the Auckland half, and, and they just, Auckland forwards were very disruptive. <laughs> the breakdown, some very marginal refereeing, I must say, uh, just around what the players were all allowed to get away with. It was fast and loose, I would call it. 
And look, I don't even mind it. It was fast and loose, but I, I don't think you would want to go back and watch that with a, a Hawkeye on, on what the officiating was actually like because you, you'd write a list pretty long, including Blair Murray, who, by the way, is one of my favourite uh, Canterbury players this year because Blair Murray is electric and he's come right through the, the you know, he's come through the classic system here in Christchurch and he got decapitated while scoring a try. He got decapitated. A good old-fashioned swinging arm over the top. And uh, Blair Murray, they didn't give a card out. He scored the try, so no harm, no foul. But Auckland, um, down the right edge with Lamb, they managed to put a fight right into the end. So Canterbury's a bit wobbly, I think it's fair to say, but they survive. So they go on to a semi-final. I want to talk to Gash. What's he seen out of this Canterbury team this year? They're not as consistent as they have been. But then, to be fair, going back the last few years, actually probably the last... Five years. Canterbury has been a bit wobbly when it comes to NPC footy. They have struggled for consistency. How does Marty Burke manage to string three good games together here to win a NPC title? I'll finish with my Wizard of the Week, my great Cantabrian. Gee, it's going to be hard to beat Tom Latham. But I'll have a good think about that before the show. I got Cam here. We'll talk some Bathurst at some stage as well. I don't know if there's any Cantabrians involved from Bathurst. I probably should have worked that out. There are a good handful of um, there are a handful of Kiwis. I know that. None of them jump off. None of them jumps off the paper at me though. But I'll have a, I'll have a good look at that. Um, I hope everybody is is locked and loaded though for for Bathurst because it is the shootouts tonight. And then when when it gets to tomorrow afternoon, I, I don't want anyone doing anything else. But don't. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Like we know what tomorrow afternoon is, right? So don't try and just just make sure you know. Oh, and the All Blacks, of course, the All Blacks, um, the All Blacks. Yes, yes, yes. Well, to a quarterfinal we go, probably against Ireland, right? Um, double eight, double three on any of the stuff, but with the All Blacks, is Joe Moody off to play for the All Blacks? Because Tyrell Lomax is needed, looked a bit concerning, and then Fletcher Newell was limping, which is not good as a uh, Leithfield Beach representative. So is Joe Moody off to play for the All Blacks? And where are they at? How are you feeling about the All Blacks? Have they shown you enough? Can you even compare it? Can you start to compare the Italy and Uruguay performances against what they're about to play next week? It's almost two different sports in a way, in a way isn't it? But... But they're a team that when they get to play their way can probably still beat anyone on the day. And that is what I'll say about that. And there is lots of good Cantabrians involved with that team. As you know, 10 minutes past 7. On the other side of this, it'll be Rod Latham. We're going to talk and we're going to revel in that Black Cats performance a couple of days on. Father of Tom, legend himself, Rod Latham, coming up after this in the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. It's a very good morning to you here from Christchurch, and I hope you're doing well around the region. All right, it's the Canterbury Sports Corner, and um, of course, it's, uh, I guess, a, a World Cup, but we've got plenty of Cantabrians involved, and uh, this guy played cricket for, well, uh, Canterbury for a long period of time. Um, his family have gone on to do brilliant things in the red and black, and of course, last night, or a couple of nights ago, in the black jersey as well. It's Rod Latham, of course, father of uh, Skipper. For the first World Cup game, Tom Latham and Rod I just don't think any of us could have expected it to go as well as it did. An all-round uh, spanking, really, by the Black Caps over England to start a World Cup campaign where we've got such high hopes. But uh, I get the feeling that New Zealanders walking around the place today might be a bit sleep-deprived, but with a bit of spring in their step. 
Yeah, morning, Louis. Um, you're right, absolutely right. It's uh, it was a fantastic effort and um, and a great start to the tournament, and will certainly give the team a lot of confidence going forward. And you know, whilst uh, whilst they're not playing one of the top tier teams over the the next game, uh, I'm sure the Netherlands will be another, you know, just another um, game where they they need to win and and win well and and keep that run rate that they've. Uh, They've done so well to get already um, up where it is. So uh, yeah, no, fantastic start. But uh, late, late, late night and morning yesterday, that's for sure. <laughs> it's um, look, I, I guess because of the nature of the tournament, as you point out, we now go into a period where we've got games that you know they might be booby trap games, um, banana skin games, whatever you want to call them. But if we can do our job for the next few, it puts the Black Caps in a very strong position with that net run rate. Do you suspect that, and knowing what you do, do you suspect that this was um, a real focus? Get off to a one and zero start beat England, get one of those big kind of four or five nations out of the way and put yourself in a position, would they have really been targeting a big performance a couple of nights back? Oh, yeah, I think they would have been, tar- given what happened in England, um, and they didn't play badly, but they um, you know, they obviously lost 3-1, I think it was. Yep. Um, they were determined uh, to, to, to get a good start. And, uh, you know, I thought the bowling, they fought back really well after the start that, <clears throat> excuse me, that England got. And uh, and just kept chipping away and taking wickets, which, as you know, puts a lot of pressure on the the new batsman coming in, and and uh, we just managed to haul them back from what could have been a blowout score of you know three hundred three thirty or something like that. But um, uh, you know, we chipped chipped away at that, and I think they would have been focused. There's no question about that. Certainly, um, the batsmen, the two batsmen that got the hundreds. They were focused. They didn't. Uh, they didn't slog. They played some good and some really good cricket shots. And when you get a partnership going, it's it's really difficult to break those partnerships. And uh, more often than not, it's one of the batsmen that get may may get themselves out. But um, yeah, no, fantastic. And I, I think they they would have certainly would have been focused. But um, now that switches to the Netherlands next game and. And they'll be focused on that because they, uh, as you say, banana skin games coming up. Then potentially, you know, we want to win those and, and get off to a, a really good start and, and take the pressure off later on in the um, in the tournament. Well, how's this, Rod? This is quite this, this is quite an amazing stat. All eleven players for England made double figures, right? The first time in any ODI men's or women's that has ever happened. They made really? 282, yeah, which was they made 282, which was probably blow part. And, and here I was late at night. I think it would have been just before one o'clock or around one o'clock when Adil Rashid and Mark Wood. We we kind of couldn't. We didn't clean them up as fast as I thought we might. And I was getting. I got a bit paranoid that maybe those 10, 15 runs would would come back and and bite <laughs> us. But yeah, they they both made double digits. The first time that's ever happened. And if you go through the scorecard, right, 33, 14, 77, 25, 11, 43, 20, 14, 11, 15. 13. As you say, they all made starts, but I think from quite brilliant captaincy and apt bowling changes, we just got wickets at the right time to be able to stop their flow whenever it looked like they were going to be able to build a platform to go on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I, I noticed that you know, we tightened up the bowling a little bit, we brought the spinners on, um, we created opportunities, and a couple of those batsmen got themselves out. I mean, you look at uh, at uh, Bierso, you know, 
obviously he was trying to hit it a bit squarer than than where he did. But Harry Brook had just hit, I think it was 16 yeah. off the over or 15 off the over and still had a ball to come. A little single down to down to that area would have been fine, 16 off the over. And then you keep the pressure on the bowling side um, and and to get a wicket like, he, like we did and the way he got out in particular um, just gave us the boost that we needed. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a funny game, cricket. And, and if you keep chugging away and persevering, then um, good things happen. So and that's what happened last night. Well, we'll claim Tom's captaincy, obviously, down here. We'll also claim Matt Henry's brilliant performance with the new ball. <laughs> I thought he, he straight away, he was just on the money. He's kind of bowling that test match length. And I know they were talking about this in commentary a lot. And he's um, they can take him off if they want to, Matt Henry. But, man, he just he's so consistent. And it's probably a bit of a lost art in 50-over cricket because a lot of these guys obviously play so much twenty twenty cricket and they're probably not used to that real consistent kind of Glenn McGrath, you know, that, that just line and length um, to open the bowling and just let it go away and maybe have one come back at them. But Matt, Matt Henry is just, he's been doing it for so long now for the Black Caps and he is probably as important as anyone in that team, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we were short on bowlers, obviously, with a, a Lockie and, and Tim Hutt. And um, so Trent and Matt in particular had to step up and... Um, you know, they did. Um, you know, obviously Trent got away to a, a not a normal start for him, but uh, he, he pegged it back and, and Matt was keeping the pressure on from the other end and swinging the ball, which was which was really good. And, and he, as you say, he bowled that really good length that, you know, do you go back, do you go forward? And, um, you know, created some issues, particularly for um, David Milan. And, um, and in the end, he had a flash at one and and got out, and that was pressure. And so, you know, I think I think Matt Henry is a very important cog in the wheel of the bowling mm. unit. And um, yeah, but I thought you know all the bowlers did well, um, and uh, you know we got through the overs and, and set, it, set it up really. And I, I look, it, we don't know, but I would probably suggest Rajan Ravindra maybe was looking like he was on the outer until there was no Lockie Ferguson. We won't. I don't know if we know for sure, but. Well, whatever happens, is he undroppable now? I mean, 123 off 96. For a long time, he's been kind of touted as maybe the next star. They've tried him down the order, Rod. Eventually, they brought him back up for that warm-up game he performed there. He's batted three, and he's essentially open because Will Young went out straight away. And I guess with his ability, and he did get some tap, but he kept a cool head as, as they were coming after him um, to bowl the ball and spin the ball in Indian conditions. Is he undroppable now? Um, I suppose it's a difficult question because, you know, I guess it's it's put the cat amongst the pigeons to be to be fair, and a lot will depend on what happens with Kane, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, remembering that when he plays for Wellington, he does open the batting, so you know, mm. you see how things go. It's it's a good place to be where you've got some competition for places and and um, and creating those options for the selectors that are there, you know, so. Um, look, he batted brilliantly, and uh, there's no question about that. It was a fantastic partnership, and you know, um, all credit to the to the two of them. They uh, they just batted normally, uh, without being you know they got aggressive at times, but um, you know, as the commentators said, they played good cricket shots, and 
and that's important. You don't have to slog, and, and I think we get carried away a little bit in the one-day game about the playing like we do in T20s, and um, you know, so you, know, you can still rack up a decent score. And when you look at it, we got 283 and 36 overs. We still had another 14 overs to go, or 13 and a bit to go. So imagine if we yeah. were batting first. Well, I mean, yeah. one thing that we have wondered about is um, as that dew comes on, or, or I know Joss Butler spoke about this, the ball just seems to come on a little bit better when you're chasing, and I think winning the toss will be a, a huge part. Uh, it's, it, you make a good point, cat amongst the pigeons. I mean, not a great time. I mean, what, on one hand, Ruch and Revenge's had a, the innings of his life. On the other hand, Will Young's got out for a duck. and Kane Williamson's got to come back in somewhere. I mean, would it, would he, Will Young be the, the short straw drawn, potentially? Well, look, I, I don't know. I, I know the left-hand, right-hand combination is a good thing to have at the top of the order. Um, but as I say, you know, that's something that the selectors will need to, uh, that are on tour, that will need to decide. And mm. I guess at the end of the day, it's what's best for the team. And, um, you know, all 15 players that are there, you know, they, they'll be called on at some stage. And, you know, they've just got to take the opportunity like Ration did yesterday. And, um, you know, we can, um, you know, put the selectors under pressure to pick a side, but it's, it is, it'll be what's best for the team. And they all know that, I'm sure. And so there will be some unlucky players that miss out. So um, on each day. And that's just the way, way it is when you're playing in a, in a tournament of the, the one they're playing in. And you'll love this, Rod. There's about five all-rounders in that squad that can all play and they're all in, are all in pretty good form, to be fair. So <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's well, a very <laughs> versatile lineup, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we've got a pretty good draw, Louis. Um, you know, we've got, I think we've got three venues where we have back-to-back games there. So yeah, that's a, right. A bit of a gap in between. So we're probably one of the few teams that are tra- travelling less um, which is which is a good thing. Uh, it's nice to be in a, in a um, city that's you know you're there for a bit and you can get acclimatised and get used to the pitches and that sort of thing. So we're we're pretty lucky in that sense, and um, you know I think uh, that'll help us in in some some degree. But uh, yeah, she's she's a long tournament. One game doesn't win you the tournament, so I'm sure they'll uh, celebrate or they will have celebrated and and. Um, and then get back into to business in the next day or so. It's a long tournament. It's uh, the better part of two months, really. So uh, hopefully we'll catch <laughs> up again before before it's done, Rod. And, and actually, domestic cricket's only a couple of weeks away. It's geez, it's beautiful down here. Um, although yeah, it's it's often on the weather, isn't it? Really around the region. So, um, but it is cricket season yeah. coming up, and um, it's a, a brilliant time of year for us fans of the sport. So good to chat, mate. And I'm just buzzing, and I think a lot of us will be until we have a reason not to. So, and hopefully we don't have one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I uh, I totally agree. I walked to work yesterday, and uh, and even those that don't take much interest in cricket were were pretty buzzy. So. Um, that was good, and you know they were all talking about it. So, if, if we're doing that here, then I'm sure they're doing that around the country as well. So, I'm sure they'll get a lot of support, and and um, let's hope that they uh, they do well over the next uh, few games. Beautiful, Rod. Great to chat. Thanks, Louis. Cheers, mate. Well, if you're like me and you've been driving around uh, the inner city Christchurch recently and you've been looking out your car window and looking up and seeing Tikaha growing from the ground and, and getting very excited 
of what's to come with major events and sport back in Christchurch City where it belongs. Uh, you're probably curious about how, how the project's been going and where they're at. So I've managed to track down the project director of Takaha, Kent Summerfield, and we're very lucky to have a bit of his time now just to check in and, and well, I guess, Kent, see how you're going and see how this magnificent beast of a, a stadium's going because with so much sport on, all us punters really want to know is when we can have some of it bang in the middle of Christchurch again. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. It's it's uh, definitely come to life, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, look, uh, people will have been seen, obviously, uh, from the from the footage on site that's been put out, but also uh, with your own eyes, as, as you say, driving past and uh, seeing seeing the uh, structure shooting up well and truly over the fence. Now uh, it's taking shape in a hurry, which is which is great. How much? work has been done and how long and how I guess how many man hours have you, have you had to put in to even get to the point where you can start building up yeah so look uh, there's been hundreds of thousands of man hours uh, to this point and, and a lot of it uh, we appreciate people won't have seen because it's it's been in behind the fence and uh, there was ground improvement work initially and, and then obviously the uh, structure and, and some very large um, concrete pours to um, provide the, the uh, foundation for the building. Uh, but now we're obviously heading upwards um, and uh, we're currently um, working predominantly in, in the first floor um, of the arena, so lifting into place uh, concrete panels and, and then topping them off uh, in situ concrete pours to uh, form up the concourse. Um, which is on the, the first floor of the arena. <clears throat> and we've also been putting in um, a number of large uh, precast facade panels at the moment. So, yeah, it really is starting to take uh, shape. People can see uh, see what it's going to look like. Hey, are you, would we be able to see when the concourse level was kind of built? Were we, when we, like, as I say, you're starting to see the beams going up now and the structures in place. But once that... Um, I don't know what the process is like, but essentially once level one is completed, are we going to be able to see how big it is and kind of get a glimpse or, or will it all kind of be happening at the same time so you're not going to see a clear-cut first floor, if you know what I mean? Uh, well, you, you will see it as, as you're driving past um, the, the first floor because obviously the um, <clears throat> structure isn't closed in at the moment, so you'll be able to see the first floor. But, yeah, we, we do have a lot of... Uh, the, the way the whole construction methodology is, is sequenced as we're starting in the um, uh, south uh, west corner and heading um, north along the west stand and, and uh, east along the south stand. So um, different parts of the site are at, at different stages of construction. So um, yeah, the, the area in, in the southwest will always be uh, more advanced than, than some other, other areas of the site. Um, but yeah, people will be able to see that bit uh, going up particularly quickly. So on on different stands and different sides of the arena, I mean, it's not all identical. It's not completely the same all the way around, is it? So is there different kind of, I guess, uh, building practices or, or different amounts of time that each specific, I guess, corner or side of the arena is going to take? Yeah, there, there are, absolutely. So in the Western Stand, we've got uh, our corporate suites, the uh, mm. players' change area, uh, staff office, southern and, and uh, eastern stands are uh, primarily uh, general admission seating. 
Uh, so, yeah, they, they will look quite different. And then, obviously, in the northern um, northern area, we've got uh, the, the northern stage pocket. So that, that's the area where uh, um, it'll be uh, have a slab and um, it can be used for staging concerts, but also will hold uh, the 5,000 temporary seats when required for events. Well, Kent, I'm fascinated by this, uh, just kind of personally yourself. I mean, how have you built or been involved in brand new stadium development before? And who are you kind of looking at? And obviously the design process was one thing. Now you're, you're putting it together. But I'm sure you're kind of learning as you're going or, or realising. Actually, I'll ask you the question. How much of it are you kind of getting to work and going, OK, we need to figure this out now? Or is it essentially following a plan and building a stadium? Like, uh, yeah, I guess to answer the first part of your question, it's no, I haven't personally been involved in a uh, stadium build previously. And, um, yeah, I'm Christchurch born and bred and, and a huge sports fan. As oh, well, that's so cool. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge privilege to be uh, a part of this project. And, and look, we're very lucky to have a, uh, a team with a great blend of experience, and, and particularly on the uh, contractor and consulting side, um, BSIC Wattpack and, and uh, the elite consultants have uh, um, have built several uh, stadia in the past and they bring a lot of uh, knowledge into this process. So, um, yeah, they've been fantastic to work with. And I, on the, the development side of it and the product that we're going to have, I mean, they have obviously been involved in different stadia, as you say, around the world. Are we... Like a Cantabrian's expecting to really have a, and we should we be expecting to have a world class, world leading stadium? Is are we building this not to play catch up to what we see around the world, but are we building something that is going to be unique and for the region and stand up over a very long period of time? Yeah, absolutely, it's unique. Uh, obviously, the uh, the uh, roof is a big part of that. The fact that we've got a closed in um, arena makes it uh, multi purpose and, and opens up a whole lot. Uh, of additional opportunities, and um, yeah, obviously uh, we've all been to sports events here in the winter, and um, yeah, the the, uh, the roof will provide a huge benefit um, in that regard as well. So um, it, it is unique; uh, it's tailored to uh, the requirements of our key stakeholders, and, and with a focus on making it multi-purpose so that it it can be maximised in terms of use. So. Yeah, that's, that's been a key aim through the process. Well, being a local, Kent, you will appreciate the bit of the, the agonising that went on to, to be able to break ground, right? And and I guess I, I imagine when you're at the pub and stuff and people find out who you are, they probably the first question they ask is when? Is that is that about right? When? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have received that question a lot. Uh, and, yeah, look, we're, we're on track for an opening in 2026. So... Um, that's fantastic. Obviously, um, we've had challenges along the way, and uh, no doubt we'll we'll have more to come. But um, things are tracking really well at the moment. Are you running any? Is the council running any sort of um, a building site tours to get in your way? I mean, I'm just trying to think of other ways to pay this off because I would be fully I would fully buy a ticket to go in and and put a hard hat on and a high vis to have a look around. I, I think it's fascinating because you just don't. I mean, when was the last stadium we had built in New Zealand? I guess it was Forsyth Bar, right? It's not something that a country gets too often, so there must be a huge amount of interest. Yes, absolutely, there has been, and that's one thing that uh, we're particularly juggling. At the moment, because uh, people, it is obviously more visible, and uh, that, that generates a lot of 
interest in itself. So uh, we are we are getting a lot of inquiries. So we're working through that. Uh, Commercialising it is not something that uh, <laughs> has been discussed. But um, yeah, we we appreciate the interest, and uh, yeah, we we balance that with. Uh, Minimising the disruption to the contract because obviously it is a, a live construction site um, and, and the health and safety concerns that go with that. So we, we do try and uh, get get people out there when we can, but um, just looking to minimise that disruption. Well, you can have that for free. I'm not going to take commission or anything off that idea. But if you if if they do start selling tickets, I want to be in the first tour group. Um, now I'll let, I'll I'll let, I'll let you crack on because I. I understand the irony of me asking that question while I'm taking your time up on a Friday. So I'll let you kick on. But just if, if anybody is kind of driving past in the next six months, what what's kind of the next out-and-out noticeable difference you'll be able to see from a construction point, say, on the uh, Fitzgerald Ave side, so the eastern side? On the eastern side? Well, as I say, that, that will uh, lag behind um, some of the other areas of the site. But... Uh, we will, towards the end of uh, this year, begin works on the roof structure. Um, yep. So that, that's going to be a significant milestone and, and obviously something that's going to be uh, very visible um, to those passing by because it, it's uh, right at the top of um, top of our vertical construction. So um, yeah, that, that's going to be a big milestone that people see later in the year. Oh, actually, it just, it just occurred to me, somebody had asked, um, as far as the eateries and kind of the hospitality element of that, does that come under your umbrella as well as the project director? Or is that you, you deliver a stadium and then work out what goes inside it? I mean, I'm sure you're, you're catering and building an area for that, that sort of thing? Uh, absolutely, as part of the design. Uh, but, but in terms of whose umbrella that falls to uh, within, that's uh, Venues Otatahi, uh, one of our project partners. So... They've been uh, intimately involved um, uh, through the design process, making sure that those spaces are going to be uh, as they need. Um, and uh, they've been currently uh, looking into their menus and, and what they're going to be offering and, and with a um, firm focus on uh, locally produced um, uh, food and beverage. So, um, yeah, they're, they're well underway in terms of... Uh, planning that out and, and um, yeah, they've been a key part of this process throughout. Makes sense, mate. Hey, look, I really appreciate your time, Kent. Um, as you say, there'll be a, a huge amount of interest, so whenever we can pass on information to the, the punters that get to use this beautiful stadium, we'll try to do it. But appreciate it, mate, and um, good luck for the, the next wee while in, in the process, and, and hopefully it all goes smoothly as it has been. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, big shout-out to Enterprise Recruitment, of course, and Trident Homes, proud supporters of community sport across Christchurch. Check out modern home plans and show home locations at tridenthomes.nz. Welcoming into the show, and it is truly an honour on a Saturday morning as he probably prepares for a, uh, a big weekend on the bike. I can only assume it's Brian Ashby. G'day, Gash. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to sort of warm up a wee bit after the rugby so I can, so I can get out with a bit more comfort. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, actually, let's start with some weather chat. Gash, let's do it. Let's just <laughs> indulge it. Let's indulge ourselves, shall we? Uh, what a funny old couple of weeks it's been. And then even yesterday, we got hit with a little bit of warm weather right, in, right at the death, and now it's uh, it's turned around again. That wind just it just it's got a mind of its own at the moment. Oh, it's spring, you know, so it's volatile, but it's sort of spring on steroids at the moment. I think, isn't it? It's it's uh, 
she's pretty violent when it when it goes. And uh, the old Waimak River, you know, there's a fair bit of water in there at the moment. Those big big nor'westers. So yeah, I, you know, we've probably got another month or two of this crazy stuff to come. Yep, we probably do. I just hope um, Cup Week holds holds up so we get that beautiful oh, extended exactly. w- w- week of sun that we usually do. Hey, um, mate, you watched this team for, or you commentated this team for oh, a long period. Um, Gash, and the, the Canterbury side, this is NPC Canterbury side, obviously I'm talking about, they have been oddly inconsistent this year for a pretty good team and can play very good football in, in patches. And that was kind of, I thought, personified last night against Auckland where they looked really hot in phases. Then they kind of shut down for 10 minutes at a time. And it's it's a, a hard follow from periods. But the point is they have got scoreboard pressure on all the other teams now that are in their quarterfinals and they managed to soldier through. But, gee, it's a, a funny old team to watch. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, I, I agree. You know, man for man, they're as good as or, or better, I think, than, than any team there. They've got a really good roster um, of players. But it's been um, the, the, the games that it's been so hard, games that they've looked so, so good. And then you get to the 80-minute or 85-minute mark and somehow they've, they've, they've found a way to lose these games and, and let their foot off the throttle. And so I'm playing some really attractive rugby along the way. And, and again, last night... Um, it looked as though, um, but you know, it was going to go the same way. But in fairness to Auckland, Auckland played very, very well. It was, um, you know, it, it was a game that could have gone either way right throughout. Um, uh, again, a, you know, a very entertaining game. And I think guys like Daniel Leonard Brown, I think he, you know he's been around for a long, long time. I think he played the best game I've ever seen him play uh, in a Canterbury jersey. Um, the interpretation last night of the high tackle rule or lack thereof from from uh, Referee was was interesting, particularly if, um, <laughs> if, you want to see, if you want to see a guy's head end up in the car park, have a look at the Blair Murray uh, try for Canterbury there. Their uh, try late in, in the game, how there wasn't a, a, a card, some sort of sanction on, on on that one. That was um, that that was that was most interesting. But um, yeah, look at a, a great old battle, and, and and Canterbury sort of sneaked through. And the old sort of cliche about anything can happen and finals football, you, you wouldn't rule them out, although, you know, my money's still on Wellington. Well, they've just been so good for so long now, Wellington, apart from that blip last weekend, really. I guess the, the sad and serious note to this is, and it's it's kind of double-edged, because on one hand, we got to see Rameka Pohepi really kind of step up and, and show what I know a lot of people inside the camp know he's capable of. Uh, Māori All Black and a fine player for a long period of time, but I thought he dominated that game from the point where he had to take over at first five, because... And terrible news, and I don't. This hasn't been confirmed, but Fergus Burke goes down with one of those injuries where it was non-contact. It looked like something gave way, didn't it, Gash? And he looked in all sorts on the bench because this is a man who probably was going to get the Crusaders ten jersey, and I'm still hoping that whatever it is, he can still have a crack at that next season because he's been so good for so long now for Canterbury and the Crusaders, Fergus Burke, and and that was really devastating to see. Yeah, I, initially when he came in uh, to the, the sort of Canterbury side and then the Crusaders, I was sort of like, I was thinking the head scratching. I couldn't quite see it. And I think it's one of those things with with first fives. A lot of them, they need to be playing. Being a bench player as a first five, I think, is a real curse. You, you, first fives, as a driver of the game, they need to be on the field finding their rugby rhythm. Rugby rhythm is the key thing in that position. If you're coming off the bench, you don't necessarily get it. And I think you know, Brett Cameron suffered from that early in, in his career. Mm. Um, 
Um, Fergus, Fergus Burke, I think, was another example of it. But over the last year's Canterbury campaign, Super Rugby opportunities this year, and this campaign for Canterbury, I, I think he's been absolutely outstanding. He, when you see him up close, he's actually a, a bigger guy than, than uh, you imagine on TV. He sort of dwarfs him. He's, he's a big first fight. Uh, I, that was that was heartbreaking to see him and seeing him uh, um, collapse like that last night, and 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 as as you say, clearly in, in distress on the bench. So. You know, if it is long term, where does that leave Crusaders? Do they look to Alex Harford? Um, do they? Yeah, David Havili has experience at number ten, and you know he he can sort of play anywhere, and is a, a really intelligent footballer. Is is that the option? Is that that where the Crusaders go? I, I don't know, but for now, um, my fingers are crossed for Fergus Burke because um, you know it, it's his time, and and it'd be hugely disappointing if he's, he's out for a long term injury. No, I completely echo that. Brian, honestly, it's um, it was really sad to see. I, and I also echo your thoughts around Daniel Leonard-Brown. I thought the tight forwards were magnificent. George Bell was destructive. Um, and Joe Moody, interesting to see him in his number ones, in the stands with a big smirk on his face. So I guess we'll wait and see where the big Joe's yeah. on, a, on a big plane. Yeah, I actually, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and look, in 2015, he wasn't part of the initial squad and he ended up playing semi-final and final, you know, um, and, and people sort of forget that. It, it started that year terribly for the Crusaders, uh, and, uh, and, and and then he sort of you know, found the form and, and, and somehow found himself at the World Cup and, and doing the job. You mentioned George Bell, and uh, I, I made a um, pretty outrageous tweet last year, and people thought I was on drugs. George Bell will be the all-black starter at uh, next year's World Cup. And, and yeah. you know, he, he, he's not. Uh, here he is playing for Canterbury, but... Um, here's the thing. He, he prior to the start of Super Rugby this year, he was injured, missed the entire campaign. Um, so that that sort of put an end to that one. But he is he is he will be an All Black starter at some stage in the next few years. I, I have no doubt uh, whatsoever about that. He he's a he's a huge talent. And here's a good pub quiz question, um, Louis. Um, yes. Who's the only Crusader not to have uh, ever ever played a game of Super Rugby, but still? have uh, a, a Super Rugby title-winning medal. Uh, and that would be George Bell. He, he finally got um, himself fit enough. Brody McAllister was injured. They put him on the bench. He played the Super Rugby final, didn't get the game time. So he's got the medal. He went up, got the medal, but he's, he's yet to actually make his debut for the, for the Crusaders in Super Rugby. That is outrageous. That is that is quite is quite simply outrageous. That is a footnote going to go going to be in some book that you'll write one day, Brian. Um, fantastic, mate. <laughs> and and we've got Wellington Waikato. We've got Taranaki Tasman. Um, Taranaki Tasman later on. We'll definitely be rooting for Tasman there. Um, Bay of Plenty Hawks Bay in the game that everyone will be watching to see what the Magpies do tomorrow afternoon. Great to catch up, mate. Um, good time of year for the spring the, the spring footy. Well, obviously a bit of Heartland as well. So good to chat, Gash, and um, go and go and power those pedals later on today if the weather comes good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fantastic, mate. Nice, nice to catch up. Absolutely. Brian Ashby, legend of this area absolutely is. I mean that with ultimate sincerity. Rightio, that's the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. There's a bit of footy chat. Yeah, they did it. They did it ugly, but they did it, Canterbury, against the old foe Auckland last night across the road from me. Who's my Wizard of the Week? My great Cantab. Well, I told you it'd be hard to beat Tom Latham. And it is. It's going to be Tom Latham. It could have been, it could have been Matt Henry. But I spoke to Tom Latham's dad earlier, so it's got to be Tom Latham because he orchestrated, pulling the strings from behind the stumps, one of the great victories for the Black Caps a couple of nights ago. 
Superb captaincy. He's my Wizard of the Week. Stay around if you want to chat. Racing, you want to tip me one, you want to be tipped one from Mick. The mail run's getting underway in just a second. The good oil later on. You've got the Saturday session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. Big thank you to Rod Latham. Big thank you to Brian Ashby. Big thank you to Kent Summerfield talking to Kaha. This has been the Enterprise Canterbury Sports Corner. Don't you forget it. We'll be back again next Saturday. Oh, and we'll be able to talk Rugby World Cup finals footy.